Hi, and welcome to The Barn Podcast, live from The Barn Studio. We are joined with a special guest today. We have Dr. Scott Bond on the line with us. Doctor, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Professor of Criminology and Sociology, you're going to be coming into our town, St. Louis, Missouri, with your Serial Killers and Why They Captivate Us tour, Friday, May 19th. We're looking forward to having you in town, Doc. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to come there and and bring the show to uh, the people in your town. What is our obsession with serial killers? Well, that's the million-dollar question (laughs) that the show is all about. But uh, let me just give you a couple of uh, top-line thoughts. Um, I think it it has to do with the fact that um, they have become, serial killers have become um, almost larger than life in our pop culture. When you mentioned Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, um, the, the Zodiac Killer, names like that, they're almost larger than life. And I think that there's a fascination uh, for many of us with things that are, are frightening and, um, and potentially lethal that are larger than life because we want to try to understand it. We want to try to make sense of it. And if we can understand it, then maybe it's not quite so, so frightening after all. For the listening audience, can we uh, you know, define, I guess, what a serial killer is? Because I think sometimes there's some misconceptions and then obviously, you know, mass murders and things like that. So could you give us like a clear definition on, on what, what a serial killer is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, according to the FBI, they, uh, they clarified this in 2005. It's a, an individual who kills two or more people in separate events where there's a where there's a separation of time between those two uh, those two events so it's uh, it's it's pretty simple it's pretty straightforward and up until the 1970s serial killers were not very well understood and they were lumped together with uh, mass murderers and we know today that a mass murderer someone like um, a columbine shooter or um, i live in las vegas um the uh, the october 1st murders a few years ago uh here uh, you know in the casino in, in Las Vegas, that's a one-time event. And the, the motivation for somebody who wants to kill a large number of people in a single event, and they often want to go out in their own sort of blaze of glory, make a statement, the motivations for that is very different from someone who wants to kill repeatedly. The, uh, the person who wants to kill repeatedly, a serial killer, has almost a, a hunger for it. It's almost like a visceral need that they need to feed time and time again. And they have no desire to stop or get caught. Whereas a mass murderer is an individual who is usually driven by, by anger and a sense of retribution. And, uh, and they will often die at the scene of the crime about 50% of the time they die at the scene of the crime. So would you say maybe the motivation is what sort of separates one of the defining features that separates the two? Without a doubt, their motivations are completely different. A serial killer has no desire to get caught, has no desire to stop killing, where the, uh, the mass murderer is making a statement. And it's usually a one-time statement and often even a fatalistic statement, as I said, because they're, they're oftentimes suicidal. They want to die at the scene of the crime. Can you also clear up some sort of some myth busters about serial killers? I know, you know, the media has played a big part in in what we I think as a general population, what we think about serial killers. But it's actually pretty rare and a low percentage of what actual murders yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so many people who grew up on, you know, for example, Dexter or Silence of the Lambs, uh, think of a young white male uh, who is perhaps uh, a loner and uh, and, a, and a bit dis- 
dysfunctional and a little uh, awkward, for example, like the uh, the Tooth Fairy or Buffalo Bill in the Silence of the, of the Lambs movie. And that's a stereotype. And are there and have there been serial killers who fit into that category? Yes, there have been. Uh, for example, Joel Rifkin, who was a prolific serial killer in New York State, killed prostitutes and runaways, would fit into that category. But then you have others that are very different. You have family men like Dennis Rader, who called himself Bind, Torture, Kill, who uh, went for years and years undetected and blended right in. You have Ted Bundy, who was the you know, toast of the town. He was uh, very well respected. He was in politics. Women were very drawn to him, very charismatic. John Wayne Gacy, also a very su- successful uh, businessman. So they're, they're not necessarily this, these dysfunctional loners that uh, hide in the, in, in the fringes of society, not at all. And um, they come of every, every race, every ethnic group. There are female serial killers, there are brilliant serial killers, and there are not so intelligent serial killers. So um, you mentioned the, uh, you know, as far as just the, uh, the number. Because of all the media attention that they get, You would think, and I've had people tell me, I'll bet 25% or 30% of all murders are committed by serial killers. The reality is never more than 1% of all homicides annually in the United States are committed by serial killers. So I actually like to compare and, and frequently compare serial killers to our fascination with great white sharks because they have three things in common. They're both rare, exotic, and deadly. And and therein lies part of the fascination that they are rare, exotic, and deadly. And kind of one of the things you always hear with the shark bites and the shark attacks is, was based on Jaws, right? Because Jaws was so popular and such a popular movie that it sort of changed the, maybe the conceptions that we had in our mind about going to the beach or going to the ocean. That's right. That's absolutely true. People didn't go to, you know, didn't go to the beach for, for years after Jaws came out. You know, and it's interesting, and, and I think You know, people might say, you know, how can you compare sharks to, you know, to serial killers? Well, in terms of our fascination with them as as a society, they do run parallel. Thanks to the Discovery Network, television network, we celebrate a shark week every year. And thanks to the Oxygen Television Network, we now have a serial killer week every year. So you can see how they really, really are both very much of our popular culture and part of our uh, everyday language. And do you think that that's growing like with the popularity of Netflix and something like the uh, series, the miniseries of Dahmer on Netflix and some mm-hmm. of the documentaries that they do on there? Do you feel that that fascination is growing? Oh, I, I think the mere fact that you see all of these new outlets uh, uh, emerging all the time is pretty solid evidence of exactly that. I mean, you think about it. Netflix is, is, of course, they've got so many other types of content as well, but it's certainly full of true crime. And then you have networks like HLN, Oxygen, Investigation Discovery, and of course, Court TV that are just 24-7 true crime. That's all That's all it is. And then you've got the granddaddies, of course, like 48 Hours and Dateline and 2020 on the regular you know, television networks. So I would say without a doubt, the uh, appetite for this uh, true crime programming is uh, is growing. So I have to ask you, do you find yourself indulging in those types of things, those types of entertainment shows or miniseries or whatever it might be? Yes, the, the answer is I, I do um, find myself drawn to a lot of this uh, true crime content because I'm, <laughs> I'm helping to create it, you know, in, in, in many cases. And it's why this we put together this, uh, this show, yeah. The Psychology of, of Serial Killers. And um, so I do, I mean, I've had a fascination my whole life, which is what drew me to study it and, and you know, take it as far as I have. I try to look at it 
more from the standpoint of um, uh, curiosity with the motivation and the and the mind uh, behind it all. You know, I'm I'm not a fan of of like the gory. Uh, programming or or violent programming per se, I'm far more interested in the motivations behind it, what drives these individuals to do what they do. So I have to ask you about, did you watch the Dahmer series? I did. What what were your thoughts on it? Well, I I do think that it was, given the fact that it was a, a fictionalized depiction of reality, I think it was pretty well done. I thought that it was, um, you know, what I, I know, I never interviewed Dahmer, but what I know about Dahmer, what I've studied about Dahmer, I think it was fairly accurate. The one thing that that I was a bit unhappy about when I heard that they had not, the producers and the director had not dealt or contacted the survivors of the uh, of the Dahmer's uh, murders or the families in any way, I, I thought that that was, uh, was inappropriate mm-hmm. because it was very much that that series was told from the perspective of survivors and and victims. And the fact that they didn't reach out to those individuals and get them involved, I thought was not only a missed opportunity, but but you know really um, inappropriate. Uh, with Netflix also, Mindhunter and the story of John Douglas. Were you able to watch any of that series as well? Oh, I watched it very closely because um, actually... The, the co-author of the Mindhunter books and co-creator of the, of the series, Mark Olshaker, who is John Douglas's partner, is a really good friend of mine. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, I was, I was very, very interested in it. And it is, it's a bit fictionalized, but it's based upon the facts. You know, it's, back, it's based upon John Douglas and Bob Ressler, who were two the sort of the OGs of criminal profiling in, uh, in the FBI. And it is based upon their experiences and their journey in, in uh, you know, developing profiling. So it's, uh, again, I think it's, it's, it's quite well done. And so with that, with the profiling, do you feel like we're getting better at it? Are we, um, you know, is the science getting better on, on profiling and limiting the amount of damage that, that serial killers are able to do? Yes. The, the, the short answer and the uh, definitive answer is yes. The number of serial killers is way down from the 1970s and 1980s. In fact, the, 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 uh, the peak of serial killers documented in the United States was in the 1980s, and it's way, way down since, since then. A lot of it has to do you know, thanks to Douglas and, and Ressler and, and others, what they have learned about, about serial killers through their research and able to detect them and apprehend them earlier on. And, and then, of course, forensic science, you know, things like DNA that now enable them to um, link these individuals and detect these individuals in ways that they weren't before. Um, and, you know, some, some of them, for example, the, uh, the Golden State Killer was recently caught as a result of DNA. And that had been a uh, you know, a cold case or an open case for a very, very long time. So what, one of the reasons that I believe that the number of serial killers is is down is not only due to this this technology, but I have a feeling it's hard to, to you know, succinctly provide evidence of this, but I believe that individuals are being caught now after their first murder before they even have an opportunity to go on to become serial killers because the numbers are down dramatically in the last couple of decades. And part of the profiling is, you know, to categorize, right? And yes. uh, with serial killers, I know that there's organized serial killers and disorganized. Can you explain to the listening audience what those two terms mean? Yeah, absolutely. And um, another friend of mine, his name is uh, Roy Hazelwood. I want to 
um, give a shout out to him. He's uh, sadly he passed away a few years ago. Had a brilliant mind. He worked with Douglas and uh, Wrestler, and he came up with this way of categorizing serial killers' crime scenes and either organized or disorganized. So an organized serial killer would be somebody like a Ted Bundy who would apprehend an individual, take them somewhere else to kill them and do whatever terrible things he wanted to do with them. And then there would be even a third crime scene where he would take the body and very meticulously dispose of that body, try to hide it or conceal it. That type of serial killer who has the wherewithal, the uh, the the cunning, the, uh, the 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 intellect to do that is very different than a serial killer like Jack the Ripper, to use a you know an old uh, old analogy or an old, old uh, example, who just strikes like an animal, kills them in the in the heat of of uh, passion, and then just leaves the body there where 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 it falls and no attempt whatsoever to uh, uh, to conceal the body. And so you can tell if, if you have a serial killer who's striking, as I said, like Jack the Ripper and just leaving bodies there uh, slashed right where they where they drop after he kills them. That's a very, very different individual intellectually, psychologically, uh, in terms of personality and behavior than a meticulous individual like Ted Bundy, who goes to long extremes to try to hide the bodies somebody like the btk killer from his very first victim to the time that he was caught was many many years uh what what type of category would he fall in Oh, he was definitely a very organized, very meticulous, very organized. He, he made some mistakes um, along the way. But in terms of, of categorizing him, he would definitely be an organized killer. And he would even he falls into a subset which are called power control killers. And that gets to the actual motivation. What was driving him? What what was the thing that was that that was uh making him kill and what was he looking for what satisfaction did he get out of killing in the case of btk and also in the case of ted bundy you know to link those two it was about the domination of another human being the desire to control life and death and completely dominate another human being there might have been some sexual motivations there as well and i think there were but that was secondary to the need to dominate and control and the reason that i say that I actually asked Dennis Rader, BTK, what was the moment that he lived for? Like what when he was when he was killing, what what is it that really gave him the ultimate satisfaction? And he said he was a strangler. And he said, as I put my hands around her throat, because it was usually her, and I squeezed the life out of her, as I saw the light in her eyes die, I knew I was God. And that's what I was living for. So in his mind, I mean how grandiose is that? He he thought he was God. And what were those communications like with him? What was he like? How did you find him? How did you find him as a person? Um, a complete malignant narcissist and and uh, and psychopath. And what is a malignant narcissist? Well, a narcissist is an individual who who sees the world only through the lens of their you know of themselves. The world only matters to the extent that you know how it affects me. A malignant narcissist adds to that the need for sadism and um, and and to hurt other people. And then he's a psychopath, which basically means that, that he has no empathy whatsoever. He's unable to feel pain uh, for, for another. He's unable to feel grief or sadness or remorse or pity. He can't feel it. He just absolutely is unplugged. He cannot feel it. So what better personality and psychological makeup for a killer than, you know, than those, than those two things. And he, 
completely unemotional in his in, in his demeanor. Another thing that I asked him, and, and by the way, our, it was through correspondence, very long, lengthy letters, meticulous letters that he would that he would send me. And I asked him, I knew that that his first killings were actually a mass murder of, of a family, a tarot family. And he was taken a bit aback because he didn't realize that four members of the household or the family would be there when he entered the house. But he very patiently, I'll use the word patiently, convinced them that he was not there to hurt anyone. He was just going to rob them. So they allowed themselves to be tied up, taken into different rooms because he assured them that he would not hurt them. Well, once he had them secured, he tortured and did ter- very terrible things and killed each one of them. And I and I so I asked him, why? Why would you know, why would you do this? And he just very matter of factly said, because I thought it would be a very interesting thing to watch. You know, so it's as if he was watching someone, you know, build a birdhouse or something. You know, I mean, it just it, it, no emotion whatsoever. Very matter of fact and and blunt. Yes, yeah. yes, cold, completely cold blooded, completely cold blooded. Especially when we're talking about BTK and and Ted Bundy, guys that that could be charming. You know, BTK was was well liked within the community that we hear with, as far as the media reports. Do you think that yes. also kind of leads to some of the some of the fascination with with those types of things. Yeah, well, and, and also, and I think you, you just hit upon a very important point, that it's like the everyman killer. You know, Ted Bundy, Dennis Rader, for that matter, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, and others, they, they just, they don't seem like these scary ghouls. Like, you, you want them to look like Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers, you know, in Halloween. You want them to look like monsters, and they don't. And in some ways, that makes them even more frightening because it means that anybody could be a serial killer. It could be my next-door neighbor. It could be my, you know, my brother-in-law, my boss. You know, it could be anybody. And in some ways, that makes it even more chilling. Tell us what we're going to expect uh, for the serial killers and why they captivate us tour when we go and see you Friday, May 19th at 7 p.m. Tell us what we can expect about that tour and the event. Well, I hope uh, that I'm able to share with everyone what I've learned uh, about serial killers and our fascination with them that I've learned over the years. And I promise you to uh, to educate and and to inform and and hopefully to entertain as well. And, and I, you know, entertain may seem like a like a strange word uh, to use in combination with serial killers. But there is, you know, there's there's something to be learned here. There, they, serial killers are are, are huge in our popular culture, both in fact and fiction. And sometimes fact and fiction even blur. And so I'm going to try to um, uh, make some sense of all that. And so hopefully it will be a um, not only a, uh, a thrill-providing evening, but hopefully it will be enlightening and enjoyable too. Dr. Scott Bond, Professor of Criminology and Sociology, www.docbond.com. They can get your published work and more information about you there, correct? That is correct. And we're going to be seeing you serial killers and why they captivate us tour St. Louis, Missouri, Friday, May 19th at Del Mar Hall. Doors are at seven, shows at eight. And we can't wait to have you in town, Doc. Thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me on and helping us uh, to uh, promote the tour a little bit.